By the time you hear this podcast, you'll realize we're talking to you. Come on. I think it's a hybrid. Again, it's sort of referencing um, aspects of the first album, which was inspired by Primal Scream, so it's not much of a, a jump from scream to shout, but it, it was, um, there's dual meaning, obviously, because it could just be taken, which is what I think it was, as a, some form of protest song. I mean, I would say it's, um, I mean, and as opposed to social media, although social media obviously is included in it, but yeah, I would say the Occupy movement is, that's kind of, you know, where it was going, I think, at that point in time. By the time you hear this podcast, I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with another episode. Episode 42. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. So um, for everyone listening to our podcast, we definitely appreciate it. We thank you yeah. for all the downloads. Very much so. Um, I got someone at my new job to, to subscribe to our okay, podcast okay. on iTunes. I guess maybe I can start telling people. I don't know. Like I, like I said, I try to keep them out of some of the personal aspects of my life, but I don't know. I've only told one person at my job because yeah. I think um, uh, they asked me they asked me about like podcasts. Like I have mm-hmm. this app and like I don't – what are podcasts? <laughs> I don't know what it is. What are podcasts? It's 2017. How you doing? Look, hey, you know, some people don't. Some people don't know what a podcast is. That tripod. We need to try that more. <laughs> Hashtag tripod. Um, 
But yeah, if uh, if you're like me and you want to tell someone about our podcast, there mm-hmm. are many ways in which we can be found. Um, you can subscribe to us on Podomatic uh, or iTunes by searching for our podcast on either of those platforms. If you have an Android phone like Ben is, and yes, yep. I'm still disappointed in him, ah, but <laughs> team Android, uh, you can, um, if you have Google play, everyone should have Google play. Yeah. It comes you know. on the phone. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be there, but, and you can subscribe to our podcast from there. Mm-hmm. You can also use the tune in radio app, uh, cast box and satchel podcast player. So several different ways in which you can find us. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook. You can find our Facebook page at by the time you hear this spelled with the word you also the same spelling for the website. Why did I mention that first? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. That's but right. Yeah, we do have a website <laughs> by the time you hear this dot com where all the episodes are posted and some links or videos to the topics that we've talked about. Um, if you want to follow us on well, social media, yes, we have the Facebook page on Instagram. We are all there, too. At by the time you hear this spelled with the letter U, because we're upstanding. Yes, mm-hmm. we are upstanding. And that is the same spelling for our email address. By the time you hear this at gmail.com. And if you've forgotten about all of that, that will all be in the description of this episode. <laughs> and as we've done with every episode. So um, you can't miss it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Email us. Talk to us. Rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. All right, so let's get into our music news segment. Um, a we 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 lost a, a great voice last week. Um, yeah, the yeah. passing of Chris Cornell. <clears throat> um, he was uh, he he, yeah. he he was a he was a voice of a couple of generations, I guess you would say. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, like when you look at that, when you look at what the big, the Seattle four, as they call them, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, Soundgarden, Allison Chains, Chains, by far the the, the best vocalist of the bunch. Yeah. Um, I know Eddie Vedder and Lane Staley get a lot of love, but um, Chris Cornell had was power. I guess you'd say like Eddie Vedder. Yeah. He had a distinctive voice Mm -hmm. and Lane Staley. I want to say he was helped. Like Jerry, Jerry Cantrell, Cantrell with yeah. the harmony probably doesn't, and but it, Jerry but it gave them, doesn't it gave much them, credit either. Even though they, you know, you could say Chris Cornell had the best voice. Mm-hmm. Each band had their own distinct yeah. sound. Some people yeah. may like to lump them together, but they all had something distinct vocally mm-hmm. at least. Um, but yeah, like uh, with Chris mm-hmm. Cornell, you like, I don't know. It was, it was like you felt it. Yeah, like it, it was. And it had like soul, and you don't expect it, that. And, with and that's grunge. the thing. Soul. I think some people <laughs> forget to mention that because, like, if you listen to, because, like, if you listen to like Outshine, if you listen to Rusty Cage, you're like, wow, there's a lot of power there. But like, I don't think people quite realize the soul. Maybe until like you heard "Fell on Black Days." Yeah, and then I would even say maybe later in his career, like when he starts to cover, like when he did his cover of Billie Jean, like that was pretty mm-hmm. soulful. His cover of Nothing Compares to You, it's pretty soulful, man. Then when, you know, Whitney Houston died, he covers I Will Always Love You. It's pretty soulful, man. It's mm-hmm. like, this, guy, this guy's got some soul in his voice. And you might not realize that, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's one of those, it's one of those distinctive voices. And mm-hmm. I think it's a voice that you, 
I don't know if he got enough credit for it. I feel like he he didn't. Um, well, I mean, maybe I wasn't around a lot of people who listen you know, to, to enough rock music. I mean, he got he got he got a lot of credit. I would maybe say if sometimes I think the credit I don't want to say it was misplaced. It was from people maybe who was your, who were just going along with the crowd. Mm-hmm. But those of us, you know, people who know know like this guy. He's got pipes behind him. Um. And even if even if you just heard Black Hole Sun, that was yeah. the first song I heard with, yeah. with his with his voice on it. I believe that was the first I heard too. If not, fell on Black Days. I can't remember which one exactly. Um, I was listening to Throwback Here ninety nine X back in high school, um, and that you know that song would come on, and I'd be like, "Wow, that's really good." That's like who is that? I didn't know who he was. I had to figure out who this band was, and as soon as I did, like that's when the debate started. Like, oh, who's the best singer? Like bring like you bring up Chris Cornell and of course I went to high school with a lot of people who were like just like uh classic rockheads so they didn't want to give Chris Cornell the respect he deserved cuz like oh Roger Daltrey and Robert Plant and I'm like but this dude's good too like come on man like give him some credit <laughs> um also uh, well we talked about cuz I I recently revisited our our bond themed episode Oh, he has a Bond theme. He right? has a Bond theme. Yeah. Uh, you know my name from Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has um, the he was he's in Rare Company already yeah. with that. Um, also a Golden Globe nominee for the song "The Keeper," which was in the film Machine oh, Gun Preacher. I didn't know that. That's a good song. Yeah, and um, he wrote a uh, a song for. Is this movie out yet? Yes, it is. Okay. So he wrote a song called The Promise for the film The Promise, uh, which was the last single he, the last solo release that he has. Yeah. Um, and it's played at the end credits of that film. Uh, he also has, you know, a few other awards here. He was voted Rock's Greatest Singer by Readers of Guitar World. Okay. Okay. Uh, he ranked fourth in the list of heavy metals all time top 100 vocalists and hit parader. And he's ninth on the best lead singers of all time from Rolling Stone and 12th in MTV's 22 greatest voices in music. Who was num- wasn't Aretha Franklin number one on that one or was the it greatest uh, voices in music? Yeah, I think it was like Freddie Mercury. I can still get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> he can really sing, too. Um, I don't think people realize, though, that how good of a songwriter Chris Cornell was as well. Yeah. Um, which is just kind of another thing that might overshadow be overshadowed by, you know, his great singing ability. Um, but he was a really good writer. I mean, he had that, he had the one hit with, um, David Cook light on. He wrote that song. He'll, and he would perform that in concerts. Of course, the bond theme that he had, um, the keeper, which was from his, um, I think it was called Songbook was the name of that album where he just did a bunch of acoustic, um, songwriter type songs. And that was really the second half of his career after he left, um, well, I guess really the third part of his career because he had Soundgarden, then, then Audio, Audio Slave. Slave. Yeah. Um, and then he went on to, you know, just tour, you know, the, I guess like the campfire circuit almost, like, you know, just playing acoustic shows. Um, and just, and sounded good <laughs> in every single, in every single way that he did it. Ironically, too, I remember my friends and I were listening to, him cover Rage Against the Machine songs and he sounded better than Zach De La Roca. <laughs> Which is kind of funny that you sound better doing, you know, but it, it was it was just funny. I mean, the guy could sing. 
Um, so for those who aren't familiar with the circumstances of his passing, um, he was found dead by his bodyguard in the bathroom of his room at the MGM Grand in Detroit on May 18th after performing a show with Soundgarden at the Fox Theater. Um, he was lying on the floor with an exercise band around his neck. So it has been determined that it's suicide by hanging. Yeah. Uh, his wife and attorney contend that the, um, that it wasn't a suicide. Really? That's what it, they don't believe that. I mean, that's how it looks. They don't believe it. Um, and, uh, huh. it shouldn't, they don't want it to be seen as intentional. And he had been taking a subscription uh, medication, which may have led to the to having the thoughts. But um, I mean, they, is there any evidence to the contrary yeah. at this point? Well, um, he, I guess, his wife says that rather than being dismissive about his future, he was planning making plans for a Memorial Day family vacation. Oh, okay. And maybe you don't do something like that um, if you're suicidal. And she said, they spoke after the show. Uh, I noticed he was slurring his words. He was different. When he told me he may have taken an extra Ativan or two, I contacted security and asked that they check on him. So that was a, a phone call. Man. Um, uh, Soundgarden's drummer, Matt Cameron, was one of the first of his bandmates to comment on his death saying my dark night is gone. Um, Pearl jam released a tribute on their website with a picture of him. Uh, and his funeral is scheduled to be placed later this week. I think Rolling Stone also posted a, a flashback of the last time that, um, he and Eddie Vedder, which the vocalist from temple of the dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, Performed uh, Hunger Strike. Perform Hunger Strike together. We used for the to have last a time. very funny parody of that. I, can, I wish I could remember what it was. <laughs> I did. Both of us did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Of, of Hunger Strike. I, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, that brings back memories. <laughs> <laughs> In hindsight, that is kind of a. a that song is funny to yeah. me. <laughs> I, mean, I understand what it's about, but it was just. <laughs> The lyrics like, uh, okay, but you know, um, it was good to see that they performed that together. So yeah, he had, um, under three different acts. I know Temple of the Dog was like a one-off thing. Yeah. Uh, but with Audio Slave and, um, and Soundgarden is when he came to prominence Yeah, and his solo stuff. Um, it's. I had to go back and listen to it. I only listened to like really one of the albums. Well, he tried twice with Euphoria Morning. Yeah. That was the first one that came out between Soundgarden and Audio Slave. Yeah. And then after Audio Slave, um, that's when he started doing, you know, more of the subdued type stuff. Um, and really, if you think about it too, I remember, you know, when, when, um, not Soundgarden, but Audio Slave came out, you know, I think some people thought it was going to be, gimmicky kind of like I feel Velvet Revolver was yeah. and it wasn't they had two albums I think they had a Grammy nomination for I Am The Stone or I Am The, I Am the Highway um, or is it Like A Stone Like, like A Stone yeah and also for that album yeah and it was a very good album and another nomination for Does It Remind Me Does It Remind Me and it was so it's funny 
that, you know, he dies. And I remember thinking a few weeks ago, I wanted to talk about that video at one point on this, on this podcast. It's a really powerful video. I don't know if you've seen it before. I haven't. It's a very powerful video. Um, you don't really see the abandon in it all. If I, if I remember correctly, and, um, it follows the story of this little kid. That's a boxer. Um, and like it shows him like he's a little kid. He has to be like maybe six or seven years old. And he's like boxing like other kids his age. And it shows him, you know, kind of training or whatnot. And then it shows clips. Uh, it shows him in the ring fighting and they juxtapose it with clips of his. What are his father? What is his father's plane going down in the Iraqi war? Mm. And it's really like it's very powerful. And like, you know how the solo like the solo is when he's um, starts fighting and then they show the plane going down at the end of the solo, they go into the chorus. That's when he knocks the guy out. That's when the plane crashes. And I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like it's a very powerful video. Um, and it just really like for a song like that, that like you kind of listen to it, it's like, oh, it's kind of a simple song, very strong message in such a simple song. Um, and I guess needless to say, he did good work with that band. Like it was more than just a, it was more than just a side project. It was more than just a super group. It was like something they really put a lot of effort into. Yeah. Um, I would say that about with audio slave. Yeah. Um, um, as a solo artist, well, as we mentioned, uh, you know, my name from Casino Royale, he actually did win a satellite award and a world soundtrack award, uh, for that song, uh, nominated for a golden globe, not an Oscar though, but, mm. um, and he's also won two Grammys uh, with Soundgarden, one for Best Metal Performance for Spoon Man. It's a good song. <laughs> and Best Hard Rock Performance for Black Hole Sun. I don't know what the difference is, but hey, he got two <laughs> Grammys out of it, and uh, I'm sure he would he would take that. Yeah. Um, Black Hole Sun was also nominated for Best Rock Song and Super Unknown nominated for Best Rock Album. And they also won Best Rock Video uh, VMAs for Black Hole Sun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those, um, as far as, you know, if you look at the, what's, what are the, the, the big things you would take away from the grunge era? Yeah, you know, as far as the music video. videos, yeah. it's that one. And it's, you can put it right next to or right behind Smells Like Teen Spirit. It was so surreal, just yeah. the way it was made. Um kind of performance based video but then like just the weirdness of like the sheer weirdness of the characters yeah the way they looked it was kind of creepy it got posted to a, um the horror subreddit saying like this would this creeped me out as a kid i was like yeah <laughs> kind of creeped me out too <laughs> it would yeah. still creep me out right now yeah. you know um but yeah with uh chris cornell we definitely lost a, a great voice and you know the circumstances don't really um, I don't know. They don't really concern me right now. No, it's just don't. sad that he's gone. In, it, exactly. Yeah. So rest in peace to Chris Cornell. Mm -hmm. Um, onto other news. It, this, uh, I guess another tragedy, I guess you would say this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This I feel like breaking really. Yeah, yeah. The going to a pop concert. Uh, it seems like it would be, a safe place. The pinnacle to go. of safeness. <laughs> Especially you Ariana know, Grande. <laughs> somebody like Ariana Grande, it's going to be, you know, upbeat and energetic and, mm -hmm. and fun. And, you know, the only thing to deal with is like 
all her fans screaming. And if you're next to one, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have ringing ears. High you're price not really... food, maybe. High <laughs> <laughs> price food, maybe bad seats mm-hmm. that were expensive. You know, it, trivial things. Yeah. A lot of trivial things. Mm-hmm. You don't really think that there's going to be a terrorist attack. Yeah. Bomb is not on your list. Yeah. Yeah. You're not really thinking about that. Um, and that's why I had a hard time when I initially saw the story. I thought it was one of those things. Oh, well, you know. It's not a big deal until I actually started diving in and they were like, people died. Like, that's tragic, man. Like, this was. And then when you think about someone like Ariana Grande and how young her fan base is. So it goes from people died to more than likely like kids and teenagers died. Like this was because, I mean, this isn't like, you know, they didn't they didn't bomb a sting concert. Like these aren't like adults. These are kids, you know, so that that makes it a little even darker, like. Someone was like, I saw a meme. It was like, who bombs an Ariana Grande concert? Honestly. And it was like the, the, um, Austin Powers meme where he's like, where he's like, honestly, who does this? Like, who bombs an Ariana Grande concert? Like, whose idea is this? Yeah. Um, you know, and reading about it, uh, this happened, um, Monday night. So yesterday, mm-hmm. as of this recording, um, Salman Adabi is the uh the perpetrator it was a suicide bombing and uh he's been claimed by ISIS so mm. this was an ISIS related uh bombing um uh maybe he um this this article says that may mean no more than this Manchester man had spent too much time watching ISIS propaganda on the internet but that Adabi chose the foyer of a concert hall and a performer known for her feminist stance and her sexual confidence seems unlikely to have been a coincidence, given that a hatred of Western pop music combined with viciously medieval ideas of female virtue and vice has been central to the rise of the Islamic state since its beginning. That would be really sad if that's why they did it, because she spoke up about women's rights and she's a Western pop star. Well, not even with, well, yeah, along with speaking of, of women's rights, but just the, um, I guess you'd say her persona mm-hmm. or, you know, just the kind of music that she makes. Yeah. I mean, it seems innocent, but it may seem like really risque to them yeah. and dangerous, um, mm. to, you know, people who practice Islam or extreme, extreme ex- Islamic extremist in this case. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always this, this attitude or this belief that, um, or just this perspective with people related to ISIS or any, yeah. or any kind of terrorist that the Western world, which, you know, Pete, that's just a f- fancy way of saying the United States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't say this about Canada, even though there has been attacks in Canada mm-hmm. or they don't say that much about Mexico, but the when you say the Western world, I'm pretty sure you mean the United States to where there are a lot of ideas and what women are allowed to do and what, um, you know, people with sexual orientation or gender or race or whatever that there is, it's a problem for somebody. Uh, so with this, with this attack, with this event, um, Oh, it kind of just brings that to light of what 
um, people who are terrorists or anarchists, how they look at the rest of the world um, and feel that something has to be done to, to stop it or yeah. to, to stifle it or whatever. Um, and it's sickening. Yeah. For lack of a better term, yeah. it's sickening. Um, and it's something I didn't even think about. And then in, in thinking about it now just makes me even more upset, makes me more, um, kind of feel sorry for them. <laughs> You know, that they live in they live in a, in a world that they have to. And, you know, you never want to be disrespectful of someone else's beliefs, regardless of how silly you may think they are, because, you know, you got to think they're probably looking at you and thinking that your beliefs are silly. Um, only thing is, you know, one person's beliefs will, you know, they'll kill for them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a that's when it kind of gets dangerous. You know, it's one thing to think something. But then when. Um, and that's regardless of who you are, that's around the world, whether it's Islam you know, um, radical Islamic state, whether it's um, hell, whether it's the KKK here in America, like that, you know, that that does that or whether it's not any group of people um, are, are the alt right as it is right now, not to go too far off topic. But anyone whose beliefs, they feel their beliefs are so strong that they're willing to kill for them. That's I feel like that's when you have an issue. And right here we have an issue. Yeah. I mean, the, and this happened in this was in England. Yeah. Manchester, England. So, you know, it could are you, you know, you could say, oh, is, is ISIS spreading or if they're, you know, they're selecting particular events. It's hard to, I mean, that's hard to tell because it, it really is kind of a small group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it really is kind of a small group. But, you know, if they they do enough to to spread out and to attack at certain times in certain places, then, you know, it's just, uh, I guess just something that, you know, everyone should consider. And I want everyone to stay safe out there. And yeah, and like, like I said, I, at the, a pop show like Ariana Grande should be a safe place. Yeah. You would think so, you know, because it's, it's, it's going to be like all ages mm -hmm. and, you know, parents taking their kids, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just supposed to be a place to have a, to have a fun time. And now it's like, what do you still, do you feel safe about, you know, not, and for me, you know, this was a big venue. I wouldn't yeah. go to big venues just because that would, I'm just uncomfortable going to them. I'm mm -hmm. not thinking about something like this happening. Yeah. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Mm -mm. Um, but it, it does make, it, it does make me think like, <laughs> But I'm not thinking if I ever I end up going to a show at Phillips, do I need to be worried about a terrorist attack? I don't think anyone should yeah. be worried about something like that. But will they? But will they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't. I you know I can't stop you from thinking about it. You know, I really have nothing to say to convince you that it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, something like this should at least make you aware. Yeah. Uh, and you know, my heart's got to the people who who lost who lost uh people who went there. Mm -hmm. Um I think it was at least 20, 22 people, yeah. Uh, Up to 50 injured. Uh yeah. It's insane. Yeah, I have nothing else to add there. That yeah. really. I would just say too and this is the article I'm looking at, um Rolling Stone why it matters that Manchester attack targeted girls. Um 
I'm going to read through this a little bit later. Probably be a good idea to add it to the website as well. It okay. just offers a little bit of perspective talking about, you know, what Ariana Grande pushes and like possible motivations as to why they would have attacked a concert like this, which, you know, a very, um, you know, women's right, positive, sexual positive person like Ariana Grande and her, you know, group of girls that she is entertaining more than likely, more than likely high population of women at this concert. So I think it's a really interesting article. Looks All like right. it. Yeah. So on to something else now. <laughs> um, something, I guess, a little more, a little more lighthearted. Well, in comparison, yeah. obviously, but uh, the Billboard Music Awards happened. And I'm trying to pull up who who won here, the big winners. Well, one that uh, everyone knows there, everyone should know their name now is BTS. Oh, yeah. The uh, the K-pop group, right? The K-pop group. <laughs> uh, they won the, let me get the name, the right name of the award. The Top Social Artist, which was fan voted. Um, yeah. And the thing is, this was the seventh year they had done the award. The previous six winners, mm -hmm. Justin Bieber. That's it. All six. <laughs> Jesus, all six years. Six years. I was waiting for row. someone else. <laughs> six years in a row, Justin Bieber had won the award, and this year it is BTS, which stands for the Bangtan Boys, uh, seven-member South Korean boy band. Um, I know one of the members is named Rap Monster. <laughs> He's like, I don't know if he's like the leader of the group or the lead singer or the, or the, you know, he's the one who's got the bars, but, um, I saw that name a lot, but, uh, they are the first K-pop group. I know there had to be the first nominated, but they're yeah. the, the first to win a billboard music award. So, um, I don't know how it's going to, if they're going to cross over and do English songs, they probably don't need to really. Yeah, because I'm I'm reading here that, and this is from BTS. Five things you should know about them. Um, they've sold out U.S. arenas already. <laughs> so there you go. Just yeah. Okay. So they keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, they don't they don't need to. Um, and apparently they also write socially conscious music. Yeah. So take that, Psy. Is what they say. Like they even say, like if you take a look at Psy, it's like why you got to bring Psy into this? <laughs> He's just out there trying to make some. Some fun danceable music. He had know? a new song come out he, last week. He's never going to top Gangnam Style, and I mean, I, I well, know that no, matters like, to him, no. you know. But but it still had like three million views in like an hour. That's a lot of views. <laughs> like that's crazy. It's like I would hate it that I, I would hate to have a song that successful. Granted, I don't I don't think that was his first song. No, but like, what do you? How do you follow that man? Like, especially when like it was kind of made on on a gimmick. Like you can't possibly hope to follow that. Like it, it, it took on a life of its own. I don't, I don't think he cares about following as far as like the world embracing that song. Yeah. Um, I think he just wants to make songs and videos that are entertaining mm -hmm. to his fan base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just still, I still think about that song that, that I feel like that song could have an episode in itself and it's rise and everything. And it just like, <laughs> like it's insane. Um, but back to the Billboard Music Awards here. Yeah. Uh, the top artist was Drake. I feel like that's no surprise after um, the year that he had. He was also the top male artist, the top Billboard 200 artist, 
the top hot 100 artist. <laughs> he had the top Billboard 200 album, the top song sales artist, the top streaming artist. Yeah, I think Aldrich. I think with uh I think with 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 Migos getting big towards the end of the year last year and, and coming into this year, I think people kind of forgot that like as far as rap goes, Drake kind of owns music yeah. right now. And not even really just rap, just pop music in general. Like it's Drake. It's we're we're just trying to catch up. Also a uh, top rap artist. He did not win top rap song. That what? went to Panda. Oh, well they just are they I feel like that's them trying to not give him the unanimous MVP. <laughs> like there's that one person that voted for Carmelo Anthony that one year. <laughs> that's what that uh, was. Well, it's kind of like with this year um with the all NBA team, mm-hmm. somebody did not vote Russell Westbrook and LeBron James to the, the first, first team. team. Like, yeah, so they that. weren't unanimous. Yeah. Someone had to vote someone else. <laughs> um, he also got top rap album. Of course, the top rap tour, um, even though only two other nominees, future and Kanye West. Um, so he, 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 uh, he pretty much dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, the top new artist went to Zayn. Okay. Um, top female artist, Beyonce. Top duo group was 21 Pilots. I wonder how long they're... I feel like they've got three minutes left in their 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> like, I'm just curious to see what happens with them. And that's not an insult to them. I just... I don't think they can keep this going. Um, they also won the Billboard Chart Achievement, which is a fan-voted award. Uh, the top 100 song was Closer by the Nickelback of EDM featuring Halsey. <laughs> um, the top selling song was Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. Also, the top radio song was Can't Stop the Feeling. Take that time magazine. <laughs> uh, the top collaboration, the Nickelback of EDM featuring Halsey. Um the top touring artist overall was Beyonce. Now, I found this interesting. Not, there are no nominees. The Music Award for Icon, they gave it to Cher. Hmm. That was interesting. Um, what is their Icon Award? Yeah. Well, it okay, last year it went to Celine Dion. And Jennifer Lopez, Prince, Stevie Wonder, and Neil Diamond our other recipients. So of is it this give award. it to the old person? Award? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it kind of sounds like. Well, Jen- well, how did Jennifer Lopez fit into that though? She's older. I don't know. <laughs> She's older, but like before, before Celine Dion and before Cher, let's give it to Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe on the six was a monster. We just didn't realize it. <laughs> um, the top rock tour was Coldplay. I didn't even know they were touring. I'll be honest. Uh, but the top rock album was hardwired to self-destruct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those are your billboard awards. I still don't know how they're voted. Are they voted on or is it based on numbers? I so still get this mixed up with the radio awards, honestly. Yeah. Cause it's so, cause what they have top social artists and they have top fan, top, um, fan army. It's like the, the, the awards show that is, they're very similar. Like it's just like, <laughs> just combine them and save some money. <laughs> so we are doing this show on a Tuesday. Um, 
but Friday we had some new music released. Mm-hmm. Uh, Selena Gomez, um, Liam Payne from One Direction uh, featuring Quavo. So that just shows the, that just proves again, yeah. Quavo is the talented one in the He's group. He's trying to get that solo deal. <laughs> He's the talented one. Um, Katy Perry has a new single with Nicki Minaj. Uh, Camila Cabello from Fifth Harmony has a new song, which uh, was very shortly determined. It was written by Benny Blanco and Sia because <laughs> they are on all these types of songs. Um, Linkin Park's album One More Light came out last week uh, along with, um, well, there's a new single from Muse and Phoenix. So I know there'd be people excited about that. Iggy Azalea uh, has a new uh, single. I don't know who would be excited about that. Album's I mean, coming to somebody. So, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, the, I saw the name of her new album. It was uh, Digital Distortion. Yeah. It's coming out at the end of June. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, uh, One Republic has a new single, it looks like. So follow the New Music Friday list on Spotify. Um, otherwise, I, I would probably find out months later if someone came out with a new <laughs> song. Yeah. Because especially I don't listen to not, the radio. Yeah, especially if it's not popular. You'll, you'll, you'll yeah. never know. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, look out for that. And we have some movement in the, on the billboard charts. Number one is still Despacito by Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber. The number one album as kind of expected was Harry Styles self-titled, um, uh, debuting at number two is welcome home by the Zach Brown band. Oh, so they do have a new album. Okay. I didn't know that. Debuting in the top 10 at number six is After Laughter by Paramore. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly's Bloom is number eight. Debuts at number eight. Um, And Seether, Poison the Parish, debuts at number 14. Huh. I wouldn't have known. Oh, also, New Kids on the Block has an EP called Thankful. It debuted at number 17. (laughs) They're on tour and um, I think Paula Abdul is opening for them. Hmm. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure she'll, she'd leave that tour for American Idol. I'm sure she would. If they brought her back. <laughs> <laughs> if they brought her back. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. And number one on the artist 100 is Drumroll. Harry Styles. Uh Oh, okay. Up from number 20 from last week. Number two, Zach Brown Band. Kendrick Lamar, number three. Bruno Mars, number four. Um, there were a lot of talk on my, on my Facebook timeline about his performance at the Billboard Music Awards. Hmm. He performed Versace on the floor. Okay, okay. And um, uh, Hawk Jones, or yeah. now Father Clef, Father- <laughs> declared like him the king of R&B. Oh, okay. I guess I need to go YouTube this performance then. That good. <laughs> Because, I mean, he performs well. So, I mean, yeah, I want to see this now. But the, And then someone also told him that the weekend's use of reverb makes him the king of R&B. Um, that's quite a, like I've 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 been soliciting mm-hmm. not prostitution, uh, <laughs> but I've been soliciting um, some guests. I have a, I have a couple of guests who are interested in uh, talking about the apparent decline in R&B music. 
It's it it's if it's a decline or it's just not what it was. Yeah, so it's not a decline. It's still here. It's just you wouldn't recognize it. Yeah. It's your friend that like It's not as popular as it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's your friend that used to have dreads that cut its hair. <laughs> like you just don't re- like what happened to you? <laughs> like <laughs> I changed. That's what R&B has done. That that stoner friend who now has a family. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you want to go get high. He's like, man, I got a son. Like, I got a son and a daughter. I can't do that no more. Um, so yeah, so that's a future episode, of course. Um, we talked about Prince's estate a couple of times. Uh, you know, he has the vault with hundreds of thousands of tapes, tapes on tapes on tapes. Um. <laughs> So, uh, his six siblings, his, his sister and five half siblings have officially been named the only heirs to his estate estimated to be worth $200 million. Not bad. Not bad. And, uh, this was, uh, took a long time for it to be determined because when he died, he had no will and it was put on hold. After more than 45 people filed claims for a piece. Goodness. Who are these 45 people? Alleging they were related to Prince. So they all claim to be his cousin. Stop it. <laughs> Memory from school? No. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Not even. <laughs> um, some of the bids were shut down last year. At least 16 of those. But others were still in the process of being appealed prompting the district judge to hold off from naming the official heirs until the matters are fully resolved. So you have to be, you had to have at least one parent in common (laughs) to be part of this estate. So, um, uh, the judge has also ruled that, um, uh, he'll still hear from rejected claimants. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, appeals a court officials send their cases back to him for reconsideration. So maybe if somebody else is out there, but, um, pos only a small chance, it seems like there. And the judge has also ruled that the six heirs cannot make any moves on his assets without a formal court order, nor can he distribute anything which may negatively, negatively impact the claims of those with pending appeals. Hmm. And it's good news for his relatives as the state has been managed by court appointed executors. First bank bosses at Brimmer trust who we, uh, we, we talked about how other, um, how, uh, banks were handling his estate and then financial service experts at Comerica took over in February, um, this year, uh, you know, so those, the banks have been controlling this estate, uh, since his passing, Mm-hmm. But now his siblings get to be in charge and they, um, they can, who knows what's going to happen though. I guess they, they, the key thing is, can they work together? Because, you know, they all, they all have to know how he was as far as his work went, uh, very protective. Um, like we mentioned before, he has whole albums, that he did but with give. his artists that he <laughs> no. did not give the record company. You know, he, he gave him, so he'll give him something else. So, um, have you read what's in the estate? No, this is interesting. So, um, as previously reported, the estate worth as much as 250 million consists of a vault of unreleased music, about $25.4 million worth of real estate and other personal property, Mm. such as a hoard of cash, $110,000 spread over four bank accounts, 
This is where it gets interesting. Unclaimed property, capital credits, and 67 gold bars. (laughs) 10 vehicles, a 1993 Ford Thunderbird. A 1995 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Like, who the, yeah. A 1997 Lincoln Town Car. 2004 Cadillac Roadsters XLR, which makes me think there's more than one. A 2010 Mercedes Benz. 2011 Lincoln MKT. <laughs> These are such random cars. 1996 BMW Z3 Roadster. A 2006 Bentley. A 1985 Cadillac Limo. And my favorite, a 1999 Plymouth Prowler. <laughs> Hey, it's some random Those, regular dude cars. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's how he got around, man. Rolled up to the spot in my '93 Ford Thunderbird. Like, <laughs> I think he drove that Jeep Grand Cherokee the most. <laughs> and it was a 1995. Like, was it still running? Was Prince putting money into this car to look normal? <laughs> it's like, hey, Prince, man, this car is like 20 years old, man. Like, you should. Uh, I don't know. You got a lot of money, man. Why don't you just buy a new car? Put more money into this one. <laughs> Replace the engine. <laughs> That's oh, so wow. funny. Just like I want the I want the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Just to be like, yeah, this was Prince's. Nah, no, no one believes you. <laughs> you got it. Got a picture of him driving it. Well, I mean, you know, I got it from his estate. Like I got it from his estate sale. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's it's good that that's it's all but settled as mm-hmm. far as the state goes. Um, so of course we could not end our music segment without talking about more fallout from the fire festival. <laughs> I was waiting to say, I was like, hold on, what? Yeah, no, the 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 shit show. Yeah. <laughs> so more news from the fire festival. Okay. Um, well, we told you about the lawsuits. Um, and all the problems going on with there, with that, uh, the employees not getting paid mm-hmm. for their work. So the New York times reported that the investigation, that there's an FBI investigation on charges of fraud and cyber crime. Oh God. Cyber crime. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it's being handled by the U S attorney's office for the Southern district of New York along with the FBI being overseen by a prosecutor assigned to the complex frauds and cybercrime units. Oh, geez. So it's fa- it says it f- it's fair to say that festival goers were sold unrealistic expectations by Billy McFarland, the festival's 25 year old organizer. He's 25. Yeah. Uh, I want to try for yeah, Okay. Sorry. Get, get, go. <laughs> um, Models like Kendall Jenner and Emily Ratajkowski were paid thousands for promoting the festival on Instagram, which was billed as having luxurious housing, delectable meals and hot musical performances. And then you saw that sandwich. Um, <laughs> the, the article didn't say the sandwich. part. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about it. It's like, that is, that is the, the, it's like, it's like a sandwich of a sandwich. <laughs> like it's the saddest sandwich I've ever seen. Shame sandwich. It's bad. <laughs> um, so, uh, Boat says when it came time, the festival was far from Instagram worthy. The tents were compared to FEMA tents. The food consisted of plain bread and cheese. It looked, that looked like wheat bread at least. Yeah. Okay. And Blink-182 dropped out at the last minute because they were getting paid. Mm. Um, 
so uh so they this, might go to jail <laughs> yeah <laughs> um oh god so of course we told you about the lawsuits there is a 100 million dollar lawsuit against ja rule and billy mcfarland and other organizers um the lawsuit uh well one of the lawsuits was billed as a supermodel filled musical festival in paradise, but turned out to be a disappointing jumble of FEMA tents, canceled performances, and an appetizing food. Garrigo said his client, Daniel Young, purchased a ticket package and airfare to the festival in the Bahamas for two thousand um, dollars. the The lawsuit covers all plaintiffs in the same situation and alleges that some paid up to a hundred thousand um, dollars. I know I've read the two hundred fifty thousand dollar number, mm-hmm. and it seeks damages in excess of a hundred million dollars mm, I guess if you attend it you can go to firefestivallawsuit.com um, <laughs> I, I just if you google it did you attend fire festival seek compensation for damages firefestivallawsuit.com like it's that's crazy yeah, so that sounds like one of those things like if you took this medicine yeah. and died you mm-hmm. can <laughs> but like <laughs> The same people that covered that uh, that uh, represented the asbestos people. This is <laughs> at this point. It's like if you draw a rule, like I I'd be like what the hell. Like I might flee the country. Like this is this is getting way more serious than I thought it would ever get. Like I thought maybe some people would get mad. They'd issue a refund. I knew a couple of people would sue. These are rich people. They like to sue. But the FBI throwing out things like you know you know fraud and cybercrime. Um, yeah, um, he ain't gonna be living it up. No, no. And then at this point, I have to wonder, um, if I were FEMA, I'd be very insulted that people keep using my tents as an insult. (laughs) If I'm FEMA, like that is the lowest grade tent, (laughs) like FEMA tents, like, ugh, you live in a FEMA tent. (laughs) That's just, I don't know. I mean, it was a white tent is, you know. But th- this is crazy. This is getting this is getting more out of hand than I thought. And at this point, it's just like bring it on. Like these are funny. <laughs> what I what I'm hoping for is that someone who wants to organize a music festival, they don't go to the Bahamas. They just call it. You know, they just move. They go to I don't know Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. You know, or some other island. Organize the festival and and do it right. Yeah. But then also still take shots at the fire festival <laughs> or they spell it fire with an I or yeah. you can get like at their concessions. You can get like, you know, that's the cheese sandwich if you want it. Like that's just one of their items. <laughs> it should be organized. I know we mentioned the, you know, we talked about the, the possible movie with Seth Rogen in the lonely Island mm-hmm. where uh, I suggested 50 cent play the jaw rule character. <laughs> 50 Cent should just do a, just do his own luxurious music festival and get it right. Get it right. And just take shots at Ja Rule just one more time. <laughs> I think, I, I feel like, I mean, maybe he does now. Maybe they're squashed their beef or whatever. But I feel like 50 Cent should not miss an opportunity to make fun of Ja Rule. Oh, no, never. Yes. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> so, um, yeah, FBI. Mm-hmm. Investigating the fire festival. I guess people still haven't gotten their money back. So, ah, uh, no, probably there not. There we go. It's probably not going to happen. No. All right, this is going to do it for our music news segment. Brought to you by 
nobody. By Menon. <laughs> so we are going to go do a, we have a special edition of our Earworms of the Week. Um, we're going to do songs related. We're going to pick a song related to Chris Cornell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ben, what is your earworm of the week? I'm going to go with, um, part of me from his, um, I was, it wasn't his first solo album. Was, I think it was his second from scream. Uh, the album that, uh, Timbaland and the clutch produced, um, universally planned, uh, universally panned. Um, like nobody, like no one liked it. Apparently <laughs> I liked it. I happen to like a few songs from it. So, um, it's the title, tra- not the title track. It's the first track, um, called part of me. All right. So this is part of me by Chris Cornell from the album Scream, and we will be right back. by Chris Cornell from the album Screen. Except for the beginning. Yeah. Like, I first played on a like, Casio keyboard. It sounded like a very weird beginning. <laughs> Threw me for a loop the first time I heard it. Um, otherwise, yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, I don't... I don't <laughs> and, like, apparently, like, uh, Trent Reznor, like, ripped into it pretty badly on Twitter. Mm. Um... And just a lot of people didn't like it, but I think a lot of people just didn't Did understand. You think it, it's he like they're like they stole my sound. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Like <laughs> he called it an embarrassment. Yeah, and it's just like stop hating Trent. You, you just hate on everything. Big hater. 
well he's the old man now yeah, exactly and that's my thing like afraid to change <laughs> he, he, ever since he got that Oscar he just been uppity yeah you mad you mad that you mad that Timlin ain't come to you <laughs> it's like I wish Timlin wanted to work with me I could have made Scream <laughs> alright so <clears throat> we have the indie Instagrammer of the week oh snap so um, I'm gonna have Ben pick so I, I put down five artists. Okay. And I want you to pick um one through five. Pick a number between one and five. Okay. And that it will be our indie Instagrammer of the week. And then for the next week I add one in mm-hmm. <laughs> and the others can stay. So Okay. Uh one through five. Four. Number four. All right. Number four is an artist named Camilla Oliveira. See if she's on Spotify. Um, no, not well, not as an artist. They had a profile. Um, man, to get my phone for this one. What's she on? Um, it may be YouTube. I thought I prepared for this, folks. <laughs> Um, but Ben, while I try to find where she is, could you explain the rule of the indie Instagrammer of the week? Well, yes, I can. So, um, in order to be, um, uh, considered, cause now I guess we we're choosing between one and five. So be, to be considered really, um, to be one of our indie Instagrammers of the week, you must like one of our posts, uh, related to the upcoming show on our Instagram page. Um, and you also must be on an indie on Instagram, I guess, in order to do that. Um, and an artist will, uh, excuse me, will uh, pick five people, put them in uh, somewhat of a drawing, as I just did here on the air. I like saying that on the air. Um, pick one through five, and we'll listen to your music, and we'll give our honest opinion of it. Neither Greg or I will have ever heard anything by this artist. Um, we won't know their genre. We won't know who they are. Don't believe me? There was an episode where he found somebody that I knew. Should have kept my mouth shut because I really liked her music. But <laughs> um, besides the point, we've never we, we will have never heard music by this person. You'll be hearing us listen to them for the first time on the air, and we'll give our, we'll give honest feedback. We're not trying to bash anybody. We're just you know, just music fans, music lovers listening to music. All right. Um, so many of them have the same name. Yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> All right. Make sure I find the I have the right, the right profile here. That's linked to this. Um. I love that song. It's in my head now. Again. <laughs> Again. <clears throat> okay. This is what we'll do. I will airdrop it to my computer. Oh, okay. What, the link? Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, technology. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what we'll do, we'll uh, play. This is a song. It looks like it's in Portuguese. Ooh, okay. Um, 
and it's a this is a video from YouTube. Uh, looks like she's playing with a friend, a uh, friend playing the piano, I guess. So okay. we'll see how this goes. And as I said, we've never heard this song before. So it looks like it's a cover of something. Okay. Um, so here we go. song i wish you know what it was it took me a while to i was trying to figure out if she was speaking english english or not is that a baby in the background yeah okay <laughs> that's at the end it's only a minute and 24 seconds okay but um not the best recording so it was kind of hard to get a feel for her voice it sounded like she was um she was trying to sing i don't know like it sounded like she was um in an effort to sing at a high volume, she wasn't able to keep a lot of her technique. So she might have better technique than she would typically have. Like she was kind of little, sometimes a little flat, a little sharp from just trying to project, yeah. which can happen, you know, if you're not used to singing very loudly. Uh, it's an actually a cover of the song Toca Im Mim De Novo okay. by Isadora Pompeo. Um, so it was a cover of that song. Okay. And, um, yeah, just a just a video to show off what she can do a little bit. Was she singing into a microphone or just singing? Just singing. Yeah, so she microphone. was probably trying to over out sing that piano, <laughs> which a piano can be very loud. Um, I'm willing to bet when she's got application of her own, she probably sounds pretty good, which is a skill in itself to be able to just sing at a very very loud volume and still keep all of your technique. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Camilla, for liking our yes. uh, one of our posts. And, um, yeah, just stay with it. Keep singing. Yeah. It's something you want to do. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, all right. So we started the episode with, um, actually there's a really, pretty neat thing that Spotify is doing called Spotify landmark mm-hmm. in which they talk to artists about, uh, one of their albums, and have some include some commentary and maybe they'll play a little bit of the song. So we started off with um, Tears for Fears talking about the song shout and then we played some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on this episode, we're going to talk about their album songs from the big chair. Um, I, I feel like it's one of the 
any emo kid should listen to it. <laughs> that I was could, the I first thing that. I yeah. thought of. Like, that's one of those, you know, if you want to have some historical context of what emo music is, mm-hmm. you have to go back farther than 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, listen to Tears for Fears and The Cure. Yeah. And, oh, The Cure. Yeah. Oh, I love The Cure. So, um, with this album, uh, this was this was suggested by Ben. Um, and what kind of drew you to it as far as like, why, why do you think, what, what makes you think the album is, is important as far as pop music goes or anything like that? I think it's important because of the singles that it gave us as well as it being the, it was the best work from a a pretty important band in the eighties. Um, tears for fears. That is, um, I, I've, I've one of my favorite songs to this day. And it used to be my Friday song is everybody wants to rule the world. And it's this kind of an upbeat poppy song with, you know, kind of a weird undertone, like weird meaning to it. Not like, you know, the, the meaning of it isn't very poppy. Um, and it was just one of those albums where it's like, all right, well, this is what draws me in. But then there's other things about it that are equally as good. Um, other songs are equally as good. Um, and of course, like you have, of course, the singles, you have Mother's Talk, you have Shout, um, Head Over Hills to Me, which is, is kind of a haunting song. And I know I say that a lot, and I like songs like that that are kind of haunting. Um, but that's, it was just, I felt like it would be an interesting album from the 80s to discuss. Um, new Wave, I, I don't know, like I'm... Yeah. It, it's part new wave. It's part emo. It's yeah. it's pop rock. It's got. Um, it even has like early industrial elements to it as well. Yeah. I think, like with some of the songs, like with the drum beats and the drum machines, you can hear it using different types of sounds. They they also used a little <laughs> bit of sampling. Yeah. Well, they sample themselves in um, broken. Yeah. Like in and in, in the way that broken is played. It, they it throw turns into head, part. Yeah. Uh, heads in the heads over heels, head over heels. Yeah. Um, they, I, I understand how you would see it's an important album, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the, you know, with I think like a lot of people got like synthesizer crazy mm-hmm. in the eighties, and here come uh, guys who. Yeah, they use keyboards and synthesizers, but they also <clears throat> they also uh, they also use like rock elements yeah. in their songs. Guitar solos, saxophones. Um, it, there's a lot of layers to it, and I there are more layers to it than I realized initially. Yeah, uh, and like I said, like I said before, that I like the the stories of how songs were written mm-hmm. and looking up the history of these guys. They were, they are really deep thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they think about the, um, they think like, like psychologists, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the, the name of their band is inspired by, um, I think it's a saying for, uh, a book that they, that they both, uh, grew up reading, um, or they were inspired. The name of the band was inspired by their studying primal therapy or, um, trying to look here. Cause I have heard. Yeah. It was inspired by primal therapy. 
Okay. And it gained a lot of publicity because John Lennon became a patient of Arthur Janoff. Um, and a lot of their ideas have to do with, uh, with that kind of psychotherapy, uh, in which you, in which it's, um, behavior is caused by repressed pain and childhood, childhood trauma. Hmm. So they, um, so a lot, a lot of their songs explore that, especially the first album, the hurting. Yeah. But they kind of got into, um, what they wrote for songs for the big chair, because I think, were you mentioning this before we started recording? Like the label wanted them to, yeah, they wanted a single, they wanted a single, (laughs) they wanted, they wanted a hit. Mm-hmm. So, and they wanted, where have you, you know, heard that before? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted, uh, you know, something more commercial. So tears of fears may say that, um, that they, they may have sold out. <laughs> to I make, guess you could, yeah. They felt they sold out to make this album. Um, but with, with the song, I guess you have to look at it from, a couple of different angles. You may hear the song and like, it seems like it's such so happy and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the attitude is, yeah, well, everybody wants to rule the world, but you can't, Mm -hmm. but you know, we can all do our best, but (laughs) 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 like it's something like that. Um, and thinking about where they come from, from a mental state, as far as how they think about things, um, really makes some of the lyrics, you know, like if you talk about the lyrics in Head Over Heels, which is another song, and I know I'm mentioning the, I'm going to mention other things other than just the singles, but like those are two songs from this record that stick out to me. Everybody wants to rule the world and Head Over Heels. Head Over Heels being the type of song where it's just like, um, the way in which they, you know, the the lyrics are very descript. You know, like I made a fire watching it burn and thought of our future. That's very. That's a very specific. You know, like I made a fire. I'm watching it burn, and I'm thinking about our future. Something happened, and I'm head over heels. It's like, <laughs> does the other person know? <laughs> it's one of those songs to where, um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, or maybe maybe we were discussing like whether to talk about this particular album. Mm-hmm. It's it kind of reminds me of every breath you take. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> where this um, it, this song's kind of stalkerish. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like I wanted to be with you alone and talk about like and it's talk just, about the weather. Yeah, it's just like all right. Yeah, like creep. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just one of those songs where it's just like it, it is really kind of unre- unrequited love, so to speak. The person doesn't know what you're talking about. They don't know that you feel this way. Um and it like it was kind of one of those songs where like when I listened to it I was like in I was in college and I was getting really big into it I was like man this song is so me man this song is so me <laughs> and then honestly as I you know as I get older it's like I don't know if I was that creepy you know but it's like it's almost like they're getting inside their own heads um one for them to pass now just how long would it last no you have no like it's just he's building this life He's building this life. I thought of I thought of your future with one foot in the past. Now, just how long will it last? No, no, no. You have no ambition. To me, that's him saying like I've already made a, f- a life for us, and you don't have any ambition. And <laughs> you're not gonna. <laughs> it's just yeah. Nothing ever changes when you're acting your age. And and I'm dreaming. I'm a doctor. Like he's built this life in the second verse. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's just, and then it's got a really cool bass line, which of course um, Smith plays bass on there. I forget his last name. I know Roy is the first is um one of them. Let me see their names. Uh, I never, I can never remember the second one's name. Roland and Kurt. Why did I say Roy? Roland. Roland Orzabal and, and Kurt. Kurt Smith. Yeah, very unique vo- vocals as well. Um, that's one thing I would always hear people say about them. And then when you try to sing one of their songs, you realize like, yeah, they do a lot <laughs> vocal wise. And it's nothing like it's not. It's not that like there's a ton of technique in it. They're just they write very odd melodies, so to speak, the way in which they write them. So. Um, with this song, uh, it's one of the, the like, well, yeah, the lighthearted mm-hmm. song. Um, yeah. And Roland Orzabal said it's basically a romantic love song and one of the most simple tracks that Tears for Fears have ever recorded. It's a romance song that goes a bit perverse at the end. Yeah. <laughs> or leave Clover. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and yeah, you're right. Like it does kind of have that nice little ding. Like, you know, and the la 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 la's at the end. Yeah, that gives it that catchiness. It gets stuck in your head. Um, yeah, and, and then it gets a little, you know, in my mind's eye, one little boy, one little man. Funny how, t- like, it's just, it is, it's one of those songs. Yeah. Uh, this song was also included in the film Donnie Darko, mm-hmm. which we mentioned before we started recording. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lighthearted song. But compared to the rest of the album, um, I think people may get away from, um, they may think of just, you know, just, they may just think of everyone wants to rule the world. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to rule the world and head over heels and, and maybe shout. Uh, I yeah. think the rest of the album is a little bit darker. Yeah. Well, and son- sonically and lyrically. Yeah. Cause so after that, and I promised I would get to non-singles. My next favorite song after that is The Working Hour, which is one of those songs that like atmospherically a little bit more reflective um, tone. Um, good song starts out with a saxophone. Once again, like I said, I forgot how much saxophone they use. Yeah, I remember it from Memories Fade, but didn't realize they used it so much. Um, but I just remember like this is like you can see like someone cruising around at night to this song like I'm surprised like a song like this maybe wasn't used in Driver um is that the name of Drive Drive yeah with uh Ryan Gosling well those were like contemporary like songs of at the time yeah when did Drive that sounded like they were in the 80s yeah because I'm thinking of that one song um I can't think of it it was like the band uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank here but like the beginning like Night Call yes Night Call yes yeah who was what was the name of that band Kavinsky. Kavinsky. I was going to say Kravinsky, DJ but Kavinsky. Artist. Yeah. Yeah, Kavinsky. That was a really good song. But, like, that's what this song kind of reminds me of. Um, that type of, you know... And this wasn't this wasn't written to be a single. Long no. intro. Um, this was one of... This was probably one of theirs, like, yeah, this ain't going to be a single. This is a song that we like, that we're going to put on the album. Don't try to, you know, don't, and I could totally see a record company being like, oh, we like this. Let's make it a single. Let's cut the intro down in, in, in editing. And no, we're going to keep it long. And it's atmospheric and I like it. And honestly, in a way, it almost kind of reminds me of Midnight City um, by M83. Mm-hmm. It almost has that feel to it. And maybe Midnight City got inspired by this album. Who knows? Yeah. Um, especially with this kind of. Uh, 
with this kind of song, um, it's very it's cinematic. I mm-hmm. think that's what you might be getting at. Oh, it's cinematic. Very, yes, um, and it's um, it's 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 cinematic, especially if it's songs from the '80s that have sax solos. Yeah. Or just saxophone in general, <laughs> it get a very cinematic feel. Uh-huh. You know, you think they should be included in more films, um, but it's one of those songs to where you really have to listen to. Um, you know, you really have to get into listening to the album. You yeah. don't. I don't know about you. I don't know a whole lot of people who know of this song to where they would have mentioned this song and mm-hmm. I didn't bring it up. Yeah. No, because I, I like this <laughs> song. Yeah. It's, yeah. Six and a half minutes long. Um, I'm sure that intro was at least a minute and a half, if not two. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like it doesn't. Like with a song like that, it doesn't matter. At least in my opinion, it doesn't matter. Um, and it has some. It doesn't have very much lyrics. Uh, one that sticks out to me. Um, this is the working hour. We are paid by those who learn by our mistake. Yeah. Um. You know, that could speak to a lot of things. Yeah, that could. To me, it speaks to maybe blue collar people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's probably after those. You know, after everyone wants through the world, head over hills. This is my favorite song on there, and it's really kind of honestly like if I hadn't heard head over hills more, it'd probably be they'd probably be tied. As far as my favorite songs from this album. Yeah. And I guess if we're going with my favorite, you know, deep cut. I never did. I never cared for that word, really. But, you know, <laughs> my favorite deep cut from the album. It's hard to say use deep cut because, okay, three of these songs are singles, maybe four. <laughs> There's only eight songs. Yeah. Because <laughs> I found myself, I was like, I found myself listening to the super deluxe version, hearing songs. I was like, I don't remember this song. I don't remember this song. <laughs> Like I was like 13 songs in. I'm like, all right, I don't remember this album being this long. And I had to go back and look, and I was like, oh, you're listening to the super deluxe version. Like, <laughs> I was like at Marauders, the song Marauders. By the time I realized, I was like, what is this? I don't know any of this. Because <laughs> I purposely skipped over the singles. So I was like, I know I'm going to remember those. I purposely skipped over those, um, and totally came in here. I'm not going to lie, prepared to say that Shout was the weakest song on the album. But after listening to it on the intro, maybe I should give it a second listen. Shout, like, okay. We're we're probably going to play Shout again. But (laughs) with Shout, I think it, um, it's one of those songs that, it's another one of those songs that gets misinterpreted Mm -hmm. to where, um, I'm trying to pull up this song again. I, I, I want to play the, the singles version, the single version of it. Um, no, that's still the long version, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's one of those songs that gets, I feel like it gets misinterpreted a lot because it's supposed to be about, um, I guess it, it sounded like it was, you know, a lot of people think it's about the, you know, like the, they're, what their band is inspired by the primal screen mm-hmm. uh, theory um, but it's more about political protest about the cold war 
yeah. one of those songs. We probably should have got Tim on here. <laughs> mm. uh, I know he took a class on the Cold War. Really? At okay. West Georgia. I didn't know and, we had one of those. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those those deep cut history classes. Deep cut. I like that. <laughs> yes. Deep cut. <laughs> um, but it's it was encouragement to to protest. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it says here, a lot of people think Shout is just another song about primal screen theory containing the themes of the first album. Is actually more concerned with political protest. It came out in 1984 when a lot of people were still worried about the aftermath of the Cold War. It was basically an encouragement to protest. And Kurt Smith says it concerns protest in as much as it encourages people not to do things without actually questioning them. Hmm. Uh, people act without thinking because that's just the way things go in society. So it's a general song about the way the public accepts any old grief, which is thrown at them. So you get lyrics like, um, um, in violent times, you shouldn't have to sell your soul Mm -hmm. in black and white. They really, really ought to know those one track minds. They took you for a working boy kiss them goodbye you shouldn't have to jump for joy yeah so you know it's um it's not just about you know something internal I guess not just accepting what is given to you um and ask ask questions not being afraid to ask questions um I think it can I think it's a more powerful song than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe because it's very, it's got the big chorus and it's very sing-alongy, if yeah. you will. And that can cause people to not, like when you have a song like that, that can usually cause people to not take it as seriously. Yeah. I want to play a, um, if I can, I got to find it first. So I'll just let this song keep playing for a moment. <laughs> but the funniest, the funniest sample, like, I kind of understand now why um, why DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince could not be taken seriously. <laughs> why is that? Um, let me see if this was the song. They they use this because <laughs> I'm just gonna play it because I think there's a. Um, it's going to come up in a second but there's a part of this song that inspired uh, the intro that we did oh (laughs) (laughs) how old is this what year is this from this is probably from like 1988 Mm. sometimes you forget that he was a rapper It's coming. <laughs> Bars. Oh, 
this one made it power first because it was it was mostly Jeff. Okay. Why do I brag so much about my dish jockey? Well, the reason that I brag and I boast the most is because my DJ is the most from coast to coast. Jazzy Jeff, whack destroyer, cutting up records like a samurai warrior. If you DJ go know who I'm talking to, I'm talking to you. So, oh god. So, yeah. So many samples. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like that song kind of crossed over. I think it appealed to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the big chorus, the industrial sound mm-hmm. that probably inspired Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it inspired... Yeah disturbed enough to cover it. Yeah. So, and I think that's kind of what might have made me dislike it a little bit because I don't I hate their cover of it. You don't like this you don't like Shout Two Thousand? No, I do not. I do oh, not. When Shout- I hear it I'm just like, ugh. And it I kept thinking I didn't like Shout as a result. And I think I like it a little bit more than I thought I did. So maybe I can listen to it a little bit more. I think I, I, I think I know what may have ruined Shout Two Thousand for you. The 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 ice ice baby ad lib. <sighs> I did forget they did. Nah, or just the lead singers ad libs in general. Yeah. <laughs> they, that could ruin the song. For Cause you. they've done some good eighties covers. Yeah. That I'm not going to get into, but they just didn't do that. Like that was the start of them doing the eighties covers. Um, and then I felt like they've done cut. Well, Sound of Silence is in eighties. What that was like that the seventies. So they've done covers, I guess you could say. They get older. I know they did Land of Confusion. Yeah, yeah. that was really good. Um, Land of Confusion was very good. You almost another one that they've done. Sound of Silence is the other one. But I don't know of any more. But um I just wonder what made them cover, you know, shout. <laughs> like that's very I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a it's a big song. It's a it's a protest song you can sing along to. Yeah. I mean, how do you, you can't beat that. I guess not. No, not with a stick. <laughs> and we may have needed it in 2000 to get Al Gore elected. Was it even 2000 or did they just put shout? 2000? I think they just put shout 2000. I might've been come out in 2000. Cause that was the big, Oh, it was from the sickness where they also make reference to vanilla ice's ice ice baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So that was the sickness 2000. Wow. They've been around that long. A long time. Huh. Okay. But yeah, that was, um, yeah. Oh God. ICP covered it next. All right. Let's move on (laughs) to our topic. Um, one song that stuck out to me from re listening to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to say this. Let me guess. Can I make a guess at what it is? Well, I was just going to say first, I found this CD at the library. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> I assumed you did. <laughs> it's, uh, it's mother's talk. Now oh, that was my guess. Um, I like the sampling. Um, and I like the, uh, I like the lyrics. There's one lyric that stuck out to me. Well, the the first lyric, my features form with the change in the weather. Mm-hmm. It's um, got that big beat. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, this is a song to where I think it's one of those songs where people dance to it in the club, mm-hmm. 
But <laughs> like, I think I have no, what the song, no idea what this song is about. Um, and this was, so, I think this is a song they had worked out, they were working on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, while uh, they were touring for The Hurting, uh, they had written this song and they wanted to record it as their next single for for their for this album mm-hmm. um and they tried it and they, they with their producer and it didn't work out so they brought in a, uh their previous producer and then they re-recorded it and released it as a single so this was actually the first single yeah from the album for the album and um They, like I said, they use sampling. Uh, they use the strings from a Barry Manilow song. Yeah, that's a very interesting, interesting sample. <laughs> and the drum sample um, was used from a Simple Mind song. Um, Which one? Today I Died Again. Okay. Um. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the B-side Empire Building. Yeah. That was the B-side song that used that sample. But they still had that big sound similar to Simple Minds mm-hmm. using that. It's kind of, I guess the, it would be considered arena rock. Yeah. With the with the big drum sound. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. This is definitely yeah. made for a big performance. Um, and kind of it's kind of dancey, too. So I could, I, you know, you can hear it in clubs. But like it would work in an arena, I believe, just because of the big sound, and then the, of course, we can work it out, which is is just like very sing alongy, you know. Like they really showed off some songwriting chops on this album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so with this song, the song stems from two ideas. One is something that mothers say to their children about pulling faces. They say the child will stay like that when the wind changes. The other is inspired by the anti-nuclear cartoon book When the Wind Blows by Raymond Briggs. Hmm. I think I'm familiar with that. Oh, it sounds a little a little depressing. It's about yeah. nuclear nuclear fallout. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> like I said, aside from uh Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which is a darker song than you than you realize. Yeah. And head over heels is a darker song. a darker song than you realize. <laughs> this album is a little bit darker than you realize. Well, I mean, when they even said about everybody wants to rule the world, it was supposed to be called everybody, everybody wants, wants to go, go to, to war. war. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason they changed it is because they kept having to sing it over and over again, and eventually it just changed to everybody wants to rule the world, which technically isn't really much better. No, <laughs> but it's a little it's a little bit better than everybody wanting to go to war. It will it get it, like I said, changes the idea. Yeah, everyone wants to rule the world. It can't happen, but we can all do our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, I, I agree. This this is there's a there's there's a dark tone to the album, um, and then there was and I'm trying to remember to make sure this wasn't. When I re-listened to it, I wasn't listening to a track from the, um, uh, what is it? From the, um, the super deluxe, the super deluxe, but I think I was, but I'm thinking, Hmm. um, I believe, is that the piano track? Yeah. Okay. That was another song that really kind of drew me in the re-listen. That was one of the songs I'd forgotten. Um, 
in the re-listen, and of course me. I don't know. I, people are gonna start thinking I listen to depressing music because <laughs> all the songs I usually pick are like the sad songs or like the I don't know. Well, you can't really avoid it with this album. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. But this one is just. I think this is just like a really pretty song. Like, and you know that way that you know. I don't know that it's haunting and beautiful. Because, I mean, I think beauty, as they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is going to be different to everyone. This is beautiful to me. So, yeah. It almost kind of reminds me of an early version of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen that I heard. Mm. Um, it kind of has that feel, just, you know, piano. Um, I don't know if I ever played it for you. It's a live version I had of it, where it's kind of sparse at the beginning. starts out with just like... Um, like a guitar and a light and a drum that's kind of playing like this like just very light on the hi-hat um, and light on the snare and that's what it reminds me of also with this kind of song um, I like the bands in the in the 80s and this could probably venture off into sophistapop yeah categories to where it was pop it was a you know it was pop rock but it had some jazz elements yeah it was kind of like smoothed out, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think with this with this kind of song, uh, which may have also been a single. Yeah. Um, this is the the soulful re-recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was the re-recording of the song was done in the midst of their 1985 American tour. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm reading yeah. too that they did a lot of re-recording remixes, and that's why they had so many different versions. So if you listen to that Super Deluxe, there's like four, maybe five different versions of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Shout was one of their most remixed songs as well. I believe there's yeah. there's several different remixes of that. So like they, much like what when we discussed Teddy Riley, who made all of the different remixes of all these different <laughs> songs, like So Did Tears of Fears, they get in there. <laughs> And let's remix this and remix that. And I mean, honestly, they they could do that because a lot of it was electronic. So they didn't have to re-record other than Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which I think had a lot of live instruments and a really killer guitar solo. Um, It's programming. So like, yeah, you want to you want to take this out in this? Okay, yeah, take this out. (laughs) You want to add that in? Okay, yeah, let's add in the metal sound. Like, let's, you know, do that there. You get all these different remixes, different sounds. Um, maybe add in some synth horns, sample some strings, maybe have someone come in and throw down a saxophone track. Like it's, <laughs> you know, you can, and you can do that. And that's, and I laugh when people like, I'm a very lazy musician. I don't like to record. So like, I don't know if you've ever been in the studio with me. I'll record one part. I'm like, can we, can we loop that? Just, <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. And my friend's like, you lazy. Yes, I have seen that. I'm like, so? Like, no, man, that's just options. But yeah, just. Hey, I played it good that one time. Exactly. It's not going to get any better than yeah, that. It's not. So I'm asking you to play it again and again and again because it ain't going to happen. So, yeah. And this also really kind of has some Simply Red feel to it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of Simply Red. If uh, Depeche Mode actually used a piano. Yeah. <laughs> and not just a, a whole keyboard. Because <laughs> um, so, vocally I get, um, it's not Dave Gahan. It was the other guy who actually wrote all the songs for Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like him vocally. I kind of, I okay. kind of got that. It's for a long time. Like 
I think I'd heard this on like a on Pandora or something. Yeah. And I thought it was Depeche Mode. I thought it was Depeche Mode, <laughs> but um, yeah. So like with this with this album, I think um, I always feel like with some of these albums, like what we looked at, what we talked about before, how with um, like with Nevermind, basically that changed pop music mm-hmm. forever. Um, and it killed hair metal. Yes. <laughs> it really changed rock music. <laughs> um, with, uh, Oh my. It's very windy outside. That's the, that was the wind. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> um, with, when we talked about Michael Jackson's bad, mm-hmm. um, it was never going to be the same Mm-mm. for him as after Thriller. No. You can't follow up Thriller. No. He, he tried like hell, but <laughs> it just <laughs> did not happen. Um, what other album did we talk we, about? We talked about Rumors. Rumors. Um, Which was a game changer for them. Like that was, it was yeah. <laughs> you know, putting... You put your business out on the street, yeah. pretty much, you know, and you made it catchy. Yeah. <laughs> so, and um, was there another album we talked about? I felt like there was one more. There was, and I cannot think of it off the top of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible podcaster right now. Yeah. Yeah. Rumors was that was total game changer. One of my favorite albums that we talked about. Um. Oh God, it's really coming down out there. For those of you that can hear that in the background, it is, uh, it's raining <laughs> hard <laughs> and the wind is blowing. So if you are in our area, oh. please be careful. Uh, we talked about the, the introducing the hard line. Yes. How could I forget me. that? The, the cockiest album. <laughs> How could I forget that? Um, and this came, well, this came out two years before okay. that. Um, yeah. but still the, um, I guess you would say before a Terrence Trent Darby, there was, you had, um, you get, you had guys who were thinkers as songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, you know, they stuck, they went with a motif that really wasn't, um, really wasn't considered like yeah. repressing childhood trauma and, yeah. you know, um, thinking about the world. Yeah. This just, uh, this just ain't love songs. Basically. Yeah. And the one love song that we do have, it's pretty weird too. Like it's so, yeah. Um, and I think as, uh, you know, if they became, you would say if they became rock stars, they're pretty understated. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, as it starts raining, yeah, it is coming down. <laughs> um, This was, um, oh, well, uh, one thing I also wanted to bring up because I was trying to remember what did the, um, how did they get the name of the album? Oh, yeah, it's based on a uh, movie, right? Yeah, it was based on the the film Sybil about a woman with multiple personality disorder who only feels safe when she is sitting in her analyst's big chair. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I guess you could say the album is about finding some kind of safe haven. Yeah. Uh, they did say that the all the songs are their own, like has their own personality. Mm. Okay. Uh, you know, that's how they basically that's how they look at it. They did have a, a an instrumental track called The Big Chair, which yeah. is not included on the original album, but it's probably on one of these deluxe versions mm-hmm. that you I were believe listening it is. to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember that's one of the things about that album when I finally did find out what the name of it was. Because before that, to me, it was just, you know, it was just I knew their songs. I didn't know yeah. their albums. And then I found, I found, I believe you were the first person to tell me, like, oh, yeah, it's called Songs from the Big Chair. It's like, that's a very interesting title. <laughs> and like before I really, this is before I'd really broken down and like really looked at their songwriting and, and really looked at what they were doing. I was just like, ah, eighties weird, just weird for being the sake of weird, you know, not realizing like, you know, after looking at their songwriting, they probably had, there was something about this title. It just wasn't, you know, song from the big chair and we have a big chair and it's the eighties. Like, no, it's like actually. There's like meaning the, behind it. <laughs> there's a guy like, um, yeah, you remember a band called Tapau? No, I do not. Um, they had an out, uh, well, their hit song, they were more of a one hit wonder, but it's called, uh, Heart and Soul. Mm-hmm. It was used in like a jeans commercial in the 80s, but their album was called Bridge of Spies. I'm like, where do you, where do they get that title yeah. from? You know, there was, I mean, you would see some album titles like that to where you don't know what the, um, what they're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. You don't understand the meaning at all. And, and sometimes you'd see the, um, the, the album title was just like the hit single, whatever the yeah. hit single is, that's going to be the album mm-hmm. title. <laughs> they have a title track. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't, you don't know what the meaning is. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but to, to hear that to, or to read that, like, Oh, that's where they got it from. And every song has its own personality, but there's still a common theme mm-hmm. of, um, of someone dealing with, you're either dealing with trauma in some way or you're, um, trying to figure yourself out mm-hmm. in some way. A lot of figuring yourself out in this album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what, you know, this was probably an album that is significant to those who were in their twenties at the time. Yeah. I would imagine. So, uh, especially if they were college students yeah. or whatever, <laughs> this was a very significant album. Um, because you're figuring out what you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you a social activist? Are you, um, are you a deep thinker? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your perspective on love? Yeah. Yeah. Head over heels. Definitely. <laughs> and thinking about that as being someone who was in my twenties, listening to that song yeah, <laughs> and saying, thinking how much I felt I related to that song. Um, not as much as I thought back then. It's just like, I was just head over heels for somebody, but I wasn't building a future for us in my head. Or was I, I don't know, but, (laughs) but like, yeah, it's just one of those songs. And especially like if you're not as, but the the meanings will go over your head. If you're not a shallow, if you're a shallow thinker, 
and you're just like, oh, it's called Head Over Heels. I'm just going to sing the chorus. Like you got to you got to actually, you know, think the thinking man's verse. The th- that's the thinking man's part of the song is typically the verse. Yeah. And their verses were very deep. So if you didn't, if you weren't really paying attention to those, you, the song might have gone right over your head. I'm trying to find here if they uh, they got any awards from their work. I don't. Let me see. I don't think it did. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't see any awards. So the Super Deluxe Edition I was listening to, though, that was 2014. And there were, on just the first disc alone, 17 songs. So I was listening to the Marauders. I was 11 songs in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if this is going to come up at all. But with it, I think with this album, the, the lasting legacy is that um, it's great that they, as songwriters, it's great to have big ideas mm-hmm. um, or to use other parts of society to inspire you um, or to use something as I guess something as complex as the human brain and how you deal with memories um, and except figuring yourself with figuring yourself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I really like the, I really like that. They, they put that to music. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's, well, like I say, it's, you know, people who were in their twenties at the time, it's a really important album. Yeah. I think for anyone in their, in their twenties, um, who is thinking of, you know, trying to figure themselves out still, um, and how you look at the world. I think this is an album you should consider listening to. Mm-hmm. I think you'll get something from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this website isn't working as far as if mm-hmm. we can find out if they won anything. <laughs> well, I don't see work. anything that they won, but I did. I mean, I see, just you know very high regard held for the album as far as reviews wise um basically four point four and a half maybe four point eight stars from all music which if i might add is my go-to for music reviews Hmm. um the all music guide i found that i typically um like there's like a 90 to 95 percent agreement rate if you will with albums because they and they don't rate albums based on like they would never compare like one album um they reviewed very highly was millennium by backstreet boys a lot of people probably gave that a bad review because it was pop music but you need to review it based on the merits of pop music don't compare it to like don't compare it to bob dylan's <laughs> certain <laughs> no don't um tangled up in blue like why would you do that they're not the same so i like that and so it seems like that's what they did here they compare it you know based on its merits it's a good album, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you look at what consequence of sound gave it an a plus, mm-hmm. um, the Rolling Stone album guide gave it a three out of five. I feel like the Rolling Stone, they don't like anything. They're very tough. They're just like new music express and pitchfork. They're yeah. very tough to please. Um, 
And so is Robert yeah. Christagu, um, from the Village Voice. Yeah, he's very tough to impress. I've seen him give like classics like a bomb, which is his like lowest <laughs> rating. Uh, he gave it a B. Yeah. yeah. So he thought it was at least kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Christagu, though, like I don't know if he's still alive. Or Christgau, excuse me, Robert Christgau. Um, yeah, that guy is interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not getting any, uh, of what their act of their awards. So it's fine. Um, still something that you should consider listening to. Um, and that will, uh, I don't have anything else to add mm-hmm. <laughs> on no, the matter. Yeah. No, I think we've, I think we've given it its due. All right. So that will do it for our discussion on songs from the big chair by tears for fears. All the way from 1985. Coming to a town near you. They're yeah. on tour with Hall & Oates. Yeah. If you are in the Atlanta area, they are playing at the Infinite Energy Arena with... Um, let me check because I just saw it. With Hall & Oates, mm-hmm. of course, and Alan Stone. Yeah, we're, I'm actually looking at going. I don't know if I'm going to go yet, but... <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, definitely some 80s nostalgia. Uh, coming to a town near you, as you said. <laughs> All right, so we'll get to um, my earworm of the week, uh, which is a Chris Cornell related song. This was the first solo song I'd ever heard by him. Is it? Uh, and uh, well, yeah. What do you think it is? Is it "Can't Change Me"? Yeah. Oh, I love that song. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I first heard this song watching an episode of MTV's Making the Video. Oh, they did cover this one in that, didn't they? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, like, oh, that's the guy from Soundgarden. That was okay, a very interesting solo. video, too, I remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from his album, Euphoria Morning, um, which was his second solo album. Was it? Okay. I believe it was. Let me check. No, it was the first one. Yeah, I think it was the first one. I'm looking. Yeah, his first solo album. Okay, so in, this in was 1999. This was the first single then. In that mm-hmm. case, so this is "Can't Change Me" by Chris Cornell from Euphoria Morning, and we'll be right back.
right, that is Can't Change Me from Chris Cornell's Euphoria Morning. All right, that is going to bring us to the end of our program. Ben, Mm -hmm. where can the people find us? Well, the first place they can find us is by the time you hear this. Dot com. If you if you don't get that, you're too you're too young. Um, we have links to um, the podcast on there. We we embed it via Podomatic. Um, you can go there and subscribe either you know on the interwebs on your computer, or you can do it from the app. Simple enough, right? Um, you can also subscribe on iTunes if you have one of them. Their iPhones. You can subscribe there on iTunes. Um, but if you have an Android, <clears throat> the Thinking Man's phone. Go ahead and find us on Google Play, CastBox, Satchel Podcast Player, TuneIn Radio. Um, the places you can find us are, are pretty numerous. You know, we, we did it that way on purpose. You know, um, you can also find us on Facebook.com slash by the time you hear this, spelled it with the word you. Um, if you want to get on the, the even cooler social media, because that's where all the kids are nowadays, you can find us on Instagram at by the time you hear this, spelled with the letter U because we're upstanding. We might not have to be for much longer because things ain't going good for him. Um, (laughs) That's also the same spelling for our email address at gmail.com. Drop us a line, comment on the website. It's in blog style, so you can comment. Um, I guess you could leave a a comment on one of our pictures on Instagram or even a post on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, plenty of ways to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on Google Play or iTunes. I don't know if you can do that on Potomatic, but I know for a fact iTunes. Yes, and, yeah. you can. Oh, you, you can? can? You can subscribe, uh, follow our podcast, and leave comments on episodes. So, yeah, check us out. We'd love to hear from you guys. And, um, yeah, hope you enjoy these episodes. We enjoy making them. So, yeah. All right. That is going to do it for this particular episode. Ben, um, I know we've played like every song almost <laughs> we played six of the seven, of the eight songs, but hey, we can play one of these again or Hey, how about we do this? How about we select a cover? Okay. A tears for fears cover that we can end the show with not the East side beat. We can't do that. Oh. We can't do that. I was going to suggest only, but, but it's so obscure. I was going to say the drew Hill cover of everybody wants to rule the world, but it's so bad. Um, we, we want a good one. Yeah. Did you ever hear the version that Christian Burns of BB back fame did for sky high? The movie. It's not uh, bad. Um, let me check and see if I, if I have that one or even I Mad like Bro, I have that one. Gary Jules, that's always a, a popular one to go with. Okay. I don't have the Christian one. Gary Jules. He did Mad World though. What did I say? I said Mad World. Yeah. Yeah. No, it had to be something from this album. I know. I know. Um, shout to that. No, not shout 2000. No. <laughs> yeah. Let's it? give it to him. Give it to the people. Shout, shout 2000. 2000. Okay. Yes. Yes. Give it to the people. <laughs> All right. So we're going to end the show with, Disturbs rendition of Shout uh, called Shout 2000. I am disturbed by it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's going to do it for this episode, and we will talk to you guys soon. Peace. Peace. <laughs>